0: everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for episode seven of season six of the Revised and Resubmit podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress and Now professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama.
1: And I'm Dr. Annalisa Boland, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama, And we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA.
0: In today's episode, we're returning to our What's New With series and catching up with a previous podcast guest to check in and see what they've been up to in the last two years. Because, yes, it's been (laughs) two years since we talked to many of them. Today's episode gives us an opportunity to do just that as we catch up with Dr. Shaheen Kanthawala, an assistant professor in the Department of Journalism and Creative Media.
1: But before we let you hear from Shaheen, we are going to kick off today's episode with a question. Okay. um, So, Kim, are you a tracker? And I mean, this is of anything. um, And how does tracking make you feel? And I say anything, not any one. This is not a creeper conversation coming up.
0: Absolutely not. (laughs) This is a really good question too. And the answer to part one of the question is definitely yes. I am a tracker. (laughs) I do have a Peloton app on my phone and I use it to schedule and plan my workouts for the next day to keep track of what I've done on that day. And I especially use it when I travel and I'm away from my actual Peloton. So that particular app, definitely of love. I also have used nutrition-based tracking apps that, to be fair, didn't <laughs> last for long. It took way too much time for me to find the foods that I had eaten and try to figure out what the portion amount was. And it was clunky, And at least for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it helped me be mindful of what I was eating when I finally got it all interned. But I also do think I did just fine remembering those things. And maybe if it was cake, I may not have remembered <laughs> All is right with the world. So I track and feel okay doing it, or I stop using the ones that I don't find, particularly user-friendly. But what about you? Are you a tracker? Not the creeper kind, but just a (laughs) tracker. And if so, how does it make you feel?
1: Okay, so I love to track. I use apps, I use spreadsheets, I use notes. I track all. And I think if I could be a tracker for a living, (laughs) I might do it. But I think they have apps for that. And so they've they've taken... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what I'd like to do. So, we were on a flight just the other day, and the pilot said we would be landing in a minute. So, I wrote it down in my notes function on my phone 20 minutes, 1200 seconds. I'm watching an episode of something on my mini TV on the flight. So, there's a com- commercial break, and I look at the time, I write down how long until we touch down, number of seconds. And so, like, I track, and I think it It gives me some control feeling and I like feeling Mm -hmm. control. It helps anxiety. I do the same thing with my mortgage, heart rate after a run, weather, humidity the day of a run. And it's like I am my own app, Um, (laughs) except except for I use apps as well. Should, Should I be somebody's
0: case study um, maybe <laughs> I also think the pilots would be thrilled to know that you were actually paying attention and making note of of all the commentary from from the cockpit. Um, so one of the things we love about this series is the opportunity it gives us to hear from our previous guests and see how much they've done in the years since we last spoke. And today is definitely no different. So please join us in welcoming Dr. Shaheen Khandhalala to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. We are thrilled to have you in our What's New With series. Can't wait to hear all about what you've been doing these last two years.
2: Awesome. I'm very happy to be here and chat with you all again. It's been, I can't believe it's been two years. <laughs> I not say it ain't so. Yeah,
1: seriously. Okay. Um, so we're going to start out with a couple of quick questions. Um, okay. For our new listeners and returning listeners, first question is: Where are you from?
2: So I am originally from Mumbai in India. So born there, raised there, did my undergrad there, and then I moved to Michigan to Michigan State University specifically um, for grad school, and so that's where I did all of my grad education.
1: All right. And what is it that you do now? And not like day to day from. <laughs> but like what is your professional title
0: okay uh i
2: was like you want to know that i uh love sleeping is that is that what the answer to this Uh, question is absolutely that can be a part of it (laughs) (laughs) um no but so my professional title i'm an assistant professor in the department of journalism and community journalism and creative media wow i messed up the name of the department (laughs) that's not a good look uh (laughs) department of journalism and creative media here at the university of alabama I was hired into a position uh, that specifically focused uh, on media effects related research. And so that's kind of a a good but very broad way of kind of um, describing the kind of work that I do. I also teach like media effects related classes to the undergrads and I'm going to be teaching a PhD class in that topic in the fall. Um, So yeah, that's that's who I am professionally, I guess.
0: Nice. Okay. And you Mm -hmm. love to sleep. I think that's a wonderful (laughs) description of who you are. Um, So before we jump into what you've been doing and your research and scholarship and all that stuff, we always have a fun question we like to ask. Yeah. Um, Young Shaheen was growing up in Mumbai. What did you what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you see yourself like being a professor from the time you were six or seven or eight or what what were you thinking? What was the young student so, thinking? That's a very
2: tricky question and an interesting one because uh, I never actually considered doing a PhD. And so professor was never on my list of things to be. But... <laughs> teacher always was so um my my grandmother um was a teacher and then I have like a few other teachers in my family and my sister actually she is a teacher she teaches like high school students back home in India um and so we have a lot of like teachers in our family um and so that was always one of the things that as I like grew up when I was really little I was like yeah cool I want to be a teacher I want to like grade papers and stuff (laughs) but A whole different thing now but at the time it was fascinating. (laughs) Um, Then uh, I like I said like I grew up in India and if you grew up in India at some point or the other you're going to be told you should become a doctor and so that was one of the things uh, that um, obviously was on my list for a short period of time and when they said doctor they mean medical doctor not the kind of doctor that we are. uh so i was like well i guess this is um i'm still a doctor <laughs> it's just not the medical doctor that uh, that uh people back home um ask you to uh kind of uh, grow up to the calm. but this is uh this is something that i actually enjoy doing i feel like if i was doing medicine it would have been like a whole different thing so yeah it was there was some certain um, traits of kind of where I've landed in my uh, professional career in like what I was hoping to do as a child, but nothing quite as like, oh, I want to be a professor. That's interesting. Yeah. I want to know, like, wh-
1: wh- what was the factor? Or was there just just one that was like,
2: all right, K-12 is out? <laughs> <laughs> Adopt- um. <laughs> I don't really think that there was one factor. I think that was more of like a like a child dream. And as I grew up, I was like, I don't really know if I want to do this. It's not that I don't like it. It just wasn't like a primary goal anymore. Like, okay, I want to like teach. So if I if I was a K through twelve teacher, I think it would have been fine. It's just um, I like having the forty percent of my time focused to research as well yeah. which i wouldn't have had to had if i was doing just um k-12 for instance
1: um, I, mean, I feel like i i also kind of thought about like t- teaching like k-12 yes like, oh then i'd have to teach people like i was and that wasn't always right <laughs> nice kind and i was human yeah. for a while so, yeah. All right. We're gonna we're gonna transition uh to that forty percent. Can you just <laughs> have a research elevator pitch?
2: Yeah, sure. So I uh, describe myself as a media and technology researcher who kind of who primarily looks at things from a health related lens. Um, and so that would be like the one sentence version of the elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. But the longer version of the elevator pitch is essentially like. We, uh, I look at research where uh, I, I look at technology in general where people already have access to this stuff. So it's not specialized health-related tech. So it's not like we're talking about med devices or anything. So things like you are that you already have access to, which is where our conversation, the last time I was here, we talked about health apps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us already have easy access to health apps. But over the last couple of years, I've been focusing a lot on um, different social media elements, um and sort of uh, how that speaks to how we make um health also just how these social media platforms um are are sort of integrated in our day-to-day lives you know uh because internet uh, uh is the internet is essentially the largest form of um like technology that we have access to, you know? Um, And that the information that we're getting from there is oftentimes leading to um, sort of behavioral and other related decisions that we make in our lives.
1: So my first very quick follow-up question is from, I mean, remember your life exactly two years ago, but from Uh two years to (laughs) now, are you using more, the same, or fewer,
2: mm-hmm. or just health apps? Health apps? Yeah. Um, were- I I think I would say similar, because I think I was just pretty much using, um, like, one at the time, and I still am using, like, one at the time, like, <laughs> right now. So um, I've sort of started, uh, I've started, re- like, I've gotten to the place where I'm like, I don't want to use health apps because um, they just make me feel worse about myself. <laughs> uh, and so, oh. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, because I'm like, oh, cool, I'm going to have this... Um, Uh, deadline or this goal and then if I don't achieve it I will feel bad and so I think it sort of depends on each person right like so like my own disposition is that oh I created this goal and I failed to meet it but like if people are actually um, good at goalkeeping and meeting and achieving those that can be very very helpful and useful so it just it sort of depends from person to person.
0: Okay, so Shihin, I have a follow-up on to that. So the way that you're kind of describing these health apps, it seems like you're talking about the ones that might be related to nutrition or exercise mm-hmm. or well-being mm-hmm. because you are kind of checking in and getting right. daily feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about the health apps? Because when we last talked, we were kind of in the, in the middle of – COVID-19 and the pandemic mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. sorts of other things so what about other types of health apps where maybe you, it's I have a symptom and I don't know what to do um mm-hmm. like what have you found in your research about the reliance on the different types of health apps and maybe like the motivations for using them or not because you had just said well I don't necessarily like certain health apps, because they make yeah. feel worse. So can you dive into that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So first of all, if you do have a medical condition that you're trying to diagnose, as far as possible, try to talk to a medical professional about it. And don't like, <laughs> Good depend. To depend. Good to don't, yeah, that's, that's an important disclaimer. Don't depend <laughs> on on the app. And um, there are multiple reasons for that. But the first one is that there are there's a very high volume of these apps available to us. And not all of them are regulated in a way that um, might be safe, you know, basically, Um, they're good as a support mechanism. And they're good as um, helping us like manage ourselves and manage our symptoms or manage whatever your day to day life is. But Uh, better to not use them as the be-all and end-all when it comes to diagnosis. Um, I did sort of, I said I use only one, but one that I forgot to mention that I do actually have on my phone, I just don't use it much, um, is uh, Headspace. And so the the space for mental um, health-related apps has grown and like it's come to like this booming space within the but pan- with the pandemic especially and so Headspace is more like it's calm like calm and Headspace those are the apps that help you with meditation and stuff and so you're not so much um, setting a goal and trying to achieve it or whatever but you're using it for reasons like um, meditation and uh, mental health related um, reasons so. That's a, that's a popular space and using things for that is great. But then there's a whole other type of, like, if we're talking about mental health apps, um, there's a whole other kind of mental health app where um, I think it's, um, for example, would be, I can't remember the one where you can better, better health. I think if I'm not sure, if I'm not mistaken, those are the ones that um, ta- like get you um, uh, appointments with therapists and stuff. And so uh, I, I, Personally, have never used one of those, so I can't um, speak to it from a personal uh, from a personal space. But I do, but I do know that there's constantly conversations coming up on like um, who are the providers over here, how how uh, fit are they in order to provide this sort of assistance, and mm-hmm. how does this work? And so those things are always evolving, uh, um, and so it's important to kind of uh, keep and keep an ear out to see where we were kind of going with that stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, be aware, basically.
1: So I, I laughed so hard, not because I was judging people
2: who go to diagnose
1: themselves, but because <sighs> I, I too
2: am <laughs> one of them. It's, <laughs> it's the It's the easiest thing. And it's the first step most of us take, especially when you have like a simple symptom right if it's something like straightforward like a headache or a cold or something you're probably just going to google it um to see if it's something that can be easily resolved and and if not then like a doctor is a third or fourth step in your (laughs) list of things to do and that's for various reasons partially because of just everyone has lives and they're trying to get other things like going and just function but also uh, medical access is um, not the easiest to get for everyone you know um, and so if it's something that you can potentially resolve yourself uh, people will choose to do that
1: so I have a I have two questions and they're probably not related but yeah if I'm thinking of them now I'm gonna go ahead and say them so I don't forget <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. so, I'm trying to write mine down so right I don't forget. <laughs> So
1: one is you mentioned that um the health apps m- could make you feel worse about yourself. And one thing mm-hmm. that I have never seen um, mm-hmm. when I have like downloaded the the app, whatever it is, it's it, there's no like, tell me about your personality and what mm-hmm. kind of person. So there doesn't seem to be, this like ai maybe it's coming tail mm-hmm. to for, from apps to like make you feel like you're winning not yeah winning within a health health app so that's one and then the other question before i forget it is wh- what are what are media effects and how does that relate to mm-hmm. what you're doing can you
2: Go- repeat the second question a little Go- bit
1: Yeah. So what are like what what do you mean by media effects and what is so what is the what is the effect? What is the media um, that you're looking at?
2: Um, Yeah, sure. So the first question about the tailoring, um, I I unfortunately do not have an answer for you, honestly, (laughs) uh, because that's a really good question. And I'm hoping that it's something that uh, the tech industry is sort of looking into. Um, especially with the, with, um, goal-based mm. apps, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, how to kind of, uh, make sure that you're motivating people in the right way, um, rather than just sort of doing, um, a mass in like, a um, a, a mass effect essentially, which is like a good segue into your second question. Um, about what are media effects, right? So, um, this is a very good question for multiple reasons. I have students in my undergrad class every semester who are often confused about the purpose of the class because it says media effects, and we have a description of the class, but they often think that they often think it's like graphic effects and stuff, and I'm like, yeah. no, we're not we're not we're not creating stuff. We're talking about the societal impacts of media and stuff like that, you know. So basically, media effects are that how does the media that we consume and use on a regular basis, how does it impact us as people, whether it's um, how does it have like behavioral impacts? How does it affect our attitudes? How does it affect our beliefs? How does it affect our like affect and our cognition? Um, Those are the kinds of effects that we're interested in. And media is just a very, very broad term for any sort of Uh, medium that you're consuming this content through. So um, historically, we looked at um, television, TV shows, movies, all of that fun stuff. Um, We started with a radio, which is where um, this research was sort of um, developed in a lot of contexts and a lot of different ways. Uh, But also today, we look at um, the impacts not only of the internet at large, but specifically social media. Um, Social media platforms are constantly coming in and out of fashion essentially. one uh, is popular today, gone tomorrow, that sort of situation. Um, and so as Media effects scholars, what we're trying to do is under study the underlying processes of these uh, platforms to kind of understand how people um, in general are impacted by them. And the one thing that we we sort of know now is that none of these things, um, I'll have a common effect or a common impact. So if I expose a bunch of people to a certain kind of media, everyone is not going to have the same like, outcome essentially because of the lives that we lead and our own experiences and stuff like that. And so, um, so sort of circling back to your question about the health apps, mm-hmm. uh, not having that tailoring is expecting that kind of mass impact or mass effect, um, which doesn't always work, I guess. <laughs>
0: Okay, so I have a couple of follow-up questions and yeah. I'm trying to write them all down. Um, so when we think about media effects and the way that we study media effects, mm-hmm. what we've learned from the research that others have done and what we have done is that it really does come down to individual differences, you know, like, mm-hmm. and for the listeners to break it down. Uh, the media, obviously, are going to affect us in different ways, and it's based mm-hmm. on all sorts of different characteristics. So when we talk about health apps and the use of health apps, I would, I think or I feel like um, there are going to be some individuals, and it could be based on demographic characteristics like age, or it could be based on things like access to... Um, smartphones and smart devices where we can get health apps I mean so let me break it out I'm thinking of people like my mom you know who's Mm -hmm. older and putting her on a phone and saying here's an app um, and how much they struggle what do we know or what have we learned about these individual differences and the ones that are most relevant or pertinent when we think about the use of health apps and kind of the effect in contaminants. That was a very long question, I'm sorry.
2: Um, I'm just going to sort of uh, boil it down and try to repeat what you said. So you sort of asking like, how, what do we know about the differences in like different kind of impacts? Yep, yep. Um, I think it, the question partially answers the question, essentially, because uh, that's what it is, right? Like, we all uh, function differently, and we have different needs, and we uh, react to things differently. And so whether it is um, the way we are um, using particular technology, whether it's health apps, or whether it's social media, or whether it's Um, whatever, you know, email, Um, Mm -hmm. it's all different based on um, what we are used to and kind of how these things affect and impact us. And so we very very early on. um, When I say very early on, I mean, in my academic career, early on in my academic career, we did um, research on why people use health apps in general um and one of the things that we noted were intrinsic and extrinsic motivations Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so people are intrinsically motivated to do things and that can lead them to make these decisions but then there are extrinsic motivations as well um sort of about like things like oh everybody else in your peer group is doing this as well so you might want to do that too you know those sort of things um with apps that uh are like um running apps for instance, you know, it's like, oh, everyone's forming a running group and you're like competing with each other. So it's like a it's like a gamified version of that. And the gamification aspect of health apps is often pretty successful. Mm -hmm. Um in gamified versions of many things are fairly successful. So um that's that's sort of one way to look at it. And so again, like it's not the same, but um you have the um you have the different focuses and the different goals for different people basically.
0: That's a great answer to my very long-winded question. So thank you. I hope it actually
2: (laughs) answered the question. (laughs) So what
1: you're I mean, so there's there's I guess the the creator and then the user. And Mm -hmm. one thing that I that I think I hear is that surely there's reasons for the design of these apps to then lead to impact and that people aren't just like, Oh, I think this sounds or looks cool. But one of the questions I have for you is for you personally, what's your like favorite part of this to study? Is it the behavior, the motivation, like you just mentioned, and then how do you, how do you do that studying? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, For me, what I like doing is what I like understanding is more than behavior is like the processes of how people get to those decisions and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, and understanding. Um, So I look at a lot of like user preferences. And so like, why are you choosing this? What is the reasoning behind this? Um, And if something is presented to you, how are you making your determinations about whether or not to use it? um and um this is I, I know we're talking about this in the context of um health and health apps over here but a lot of my research has nothing to do with health in some situations uh where we will especially where we're looking at um the way content is re- like reaches audiences on platforms um where the algorithm is doing most of the heavy lifting right like tiktok uh, TikTok is telling you what, you're need, what you need to watch. And so you're watching that because that app is telling you what to consume essentially. And so how do people make sense of that sort of information and how does that affect them um, in their uh, consumption and processing of information uh, on those platforms? So that's what I am like primarily interested in oftentimes.
0: So many more follow-up questions now. <laughs>
2: Sorry. (laughs) You said the
0: word TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) I did say the word TikTok, yes. (laughs) Okay, so I know, and this can be answered just based on kind of observational Uh experiences or based on what you've studied. So I'm really curious about the role of TikTok specifically, because as you had noted, well, okay, let me back it up. We mm-hmm. we had talked when, when we were talking over two years ago, we were t- kind of in a period of time where there was a lot of health information on various apps, on online, the internet, places like that. There was also a lot of misinformation at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm wondering is, with kind of the way TikTok works and the algorithms and all of that,
2: mm-hmm. it
0: seems like people who may be seeking out health information, there's, like, not a, a quality control filter for TikTok. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's just so much that could be studied about TikTok and health apps and what we know and believe to be true, what actually isn't true. Can you tell us your thoughts about that? I mean, are we going down, like, a bad rabbit hole with TikTok? Or, um
2: that's a complicated question right about whether it's a bad rabbit hole or not just because of that. like tiktok often gets painted as the um dangerous app currently but that's all of the internet right it's it's just that suddenly we are being presented information in a way that we were not um used to or wasn't popular earlier Mm -hmm. and now Mm -hmm. it is especially with populations that are younger today, but are going to be the adults of tomorrow, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. So, fun fact that uh, I'm sure many of our listeners might have um, heard or read about, but uh, did you know that uh, TikTok was oftentimes the preferred option over Google for younger people? (laughs) They go to TikTok instead of Google. If they wanna look something up, they'll often go to TikTok instead of going to Google. It's true. It's- yeah, yeah. So that's that's pretty big, right? Because Google, you Google a question, and they give you whatever the information is. But TikTok, they like that it's giving you information that's more um, sort of tailored to what they are interested in or what their contexts are. And mm-hmm. so uh, that that as a search engine platform, honestly, is growing, which is a very interesting phenomenon. Um, and so uh, whether or not. Um, the way TikTok works in general is um, like most most platforms, their algorithm is, again, a black box. We don't really know how it works, but TikTok is one of the um, very good, uh, very, very good at sort of making their algorithm tell us exactly what we would be interested in viewing at a particular mm-hmm. time. So they're probably like picking up a lot of cues from the way we use our devices and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, Um, we get a lot of tailored information and it comes to us through this algorithm that's essentially like, well, you're going to watch this one video video at a specific time, and then you're going to scroll past it. uh, And we are going to tell you what it is that you like versus don't like. And mostly people um, enjoy that because they're like, oh, hey, I like this and it's giving me exactly what I like. And so um, the if or the impact that the way I see it, and it's actually one of the arguments that we're making in our forthcoming papers is that um, what TikTok is doing is it has this sort of normalization effect. Um, so if you keep seeing, let's say topic X, right? You keep seeing uh, content about topic X on your um For you page and this is the platform that you are primarily focused on or getting your content from um, you feel that everyone in your circle or in your peer group essentially believes this and everyone sort of understands this and this is the norm this is the new norm whatever and so that normalization impact can have a sort of persuasive effect Mm -hmm. and um, so whether it's good or whether it's bad information is is not based on using TikTok as much as the content that you are engaging with that's being pushed Mm. to you because of that. So I wouldn't say that the platform is good or bad. It's that, okay, it's that the kind of content that's being um, shared and that you are uh, essentially the algorithm is recognizing that you are interested in this kind of content. And so there have been um, conversations in the last two years that um, TikTok has made it so that health diagnoses, mental health related diagnoses, and younger populations um, are skyrocketing. And that, honestly, it might not be a bad thing depending on the situation uh, Mm -hmm. because what it's doing is sort of helping people recognize that, okay, it's okay to talk about this, you know? It's Mm. okay to recognize that you might need support. There are other people like you. Um, and so that's that potentially could be looked on as a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, if you have conspiracy theories and everybody is just being exposed to that conspiratorial thinking uh, over and over again, you're like, well, everyone believes this. So if you say that's not true, then you're the one who's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to sort of make that phenomenon um, uh, dangerous in that situation. Uh, my colleagues and I, we call this phenomenon algorithmic conspirituality. Mm. And so... Yeah, so it's basically like a portmanteau of conspiracy and spirituality. And basically, the algorithm is kind of playing this role um, in this phenomenon. So, beyond
1: health, if you uh-huh. have list the other areas where we are affected, what would some of those be?
2: Uh, just as people exposed to media?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, I think. <laughs> it's just- like a topic <laughs> I think like health is just one of the domains right I think instead in sort of like top three even I'll just like list the umbrella thing for you is just our um, information processing like that's like how we how we understand and how we cultivate our perception of reality mm-hmm. um, media has an effect in that it's not the soul effect but it definitely plays an effect and it has an impact in that
0: Okay, I feel like we're going to have to probably schedule two more episodes <laughs> with you. There's so no much to talk about. Um, but we're at the other part of the podcast where we, we're okay. at Rapid Fire Part 2. And sure. we would love to get some recommendations from you for all of our okay. listeners. So these, okay. these are just meant to be fun and, and wrecks. So what TV show are you watching right now or what is your favorite? um
2: I, a favorite i there are so many and honestly the minute you ask me that i can't remember a single one <laughs> um so uh this is a very hard question but i i will tell you i recently watched a tv show on um hulu called um extraordinary i think uh and it's like a comedy show about uh, a world where everyone has superpowers and uh, you get superpowers when you're 18 years old and the lead character is like 24 and she doesn't have superpowers. Uh, and so it's like a comedy about her just kind of being someone in her early 20s, mid-20s, um, trying to navigate that while also navigating the fact that she is one of the few people who don't have like
0: superpowers. Okay, that's a good one. Mm. And I also know just from other conversations that you like Abbott Elementary.
2: Oh, my God. I love Abadella. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, such a good TV show. Excellent. Everyone should watch it if they haven't already. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I'm i not going to ask you what superpower you would want, <laughs> but I want you to I, think about that.
2: And I know to- the answer to this uh, question. Tell, tell, tell. Teleportation. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Immediately. I don't want to travel anymore. I just want to get from point A to point B immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what
1: book are you reading or should we be, should we be reading if we haven't read it
2: yet? Um, I have recently been reading these mystery novels, uh, but there's this author called Lucy Foley. I think that's how you say her name, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And they're uh, like either murder mysteries or like uh, almost murder mysteries, basically something or the other creepy happening at a particular um, location. So like one of the ones that I read was called The Guest List and it's like someone's wedding at this remote island and all the guests are there. And then you don't know until, you know there's been a murder, but you don't know who committed the murder and you don't know who is murdered even until like the end. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so I've been like reading, I think like two or three of her books recently.
0: So do you have a favorite movie or a movie that we absolutely need to see? Uh, movie.
2: That's a hard one. Um, let me see. I, oh, I recently watched uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that was really great. So um, I would recommend that that movie has been nominated for 11 Oscars. Um, so if you haven't watched it, um, watch it.
1: Okay, final question is, if your life was a reality show, or if you would want to be on a reality show, which one would that be?
2: Um, I think I've mentioned this in like casual conversation, <laughs> but uh, I think academia would be a great setting for a reality TV show. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> I don't know about an existing TV show, but I think we at Recypher could make for a great reality TV <laughs>
0: Um Nottingham, it has been so much fun catching up with you I feel like we need to do this every month or so um, but absolutely it's been, it's been wonderful hearing about the research that you've been doing and kind of seeing how it's all progressed over the last two years so thank you for spending some time with us
2: yeah it's always great to chat with y'all so uh, thank you for having me back and it's it's been great catching up with you both
0: alright thank you <laughs>